This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Tuesday, February 4th, 2020. On this day in 1974, heiress Patricia Hearst was kidnapped from her apartment by the Symbionese Liberation Army, or SLA. 57 days later, she joined her kidnapper's cause, leading some to wonder, had she planned her own kidnapping? Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the kidnapping of Patricia Hurst by the Symbionese Liberation Army, after which she was held captive for 57 days and then joined her captor's cause. Let's go back to Berkeley, California, shortly after 9 p.m. on February 4, 1974. Angela Atwood was desperate for a new set of wheels, and not just because she was third-wheeling Billy and Emily Harris. Tonight, she could ignore the couple's bickering. Tonight, the actress was carrying out an act of revolution. But her glorious plan for revolution required three cars, and the group's third car had been taken into police custody. The solution was simple, carjacking. That was how Angela and the Harrises ended up in a grocery store parking lot, scoping out a mark. They found it in a middle-aged mathematician heading towards a Chevy convertible, arms full of groceries. He looked like an easy target, and as a bonus, his car was cool. Angela steeled herself and approached him. This was just another acting role. She called out, Give me your keys. We want your car, not you. The mathematician was caught off guard. In that split second, the Harrises pounced. They pushed him to the ground, tied him up, and snatched his keys. Angela helped the couple throw their hostage in the back seat of his own car. They covered him with a blanket and drove off. Mission accomplished. At least, step one. This kidnapping was just the warm-up collateral damage. Their real target, 19-year-old newspaper heiress, Patricia Hurst. Angela, Bill, and Emily drove the stolen Chevy to UC Berkeley, where Patricia lived in a college apartment with her new fiancé, Stephen Weed. Their comrades were already waiting there, with two other cars and a coordinated plan. Angela and the Harrises pulled up parked the car and handed the keys to getaway driver Camilla Hall. Along with their leader, Donald DeFries, Angela and Bill approached the door. DeFries and Bill Harris held back while Angela slipped into another character, frazzled girl who just hit a parked car. She knocked on the door, crying and freaking out. Stephen Weed answered and Angela begged to borrow the phone. 
With Weed distracted, Harris and DeFries burst into the apartment, waving guns. Weed backed up, alarmed. Angela grabbed Patricia Hurst, who'd come to investigate. She aimed her automatic pistol at the girl's face, backing her into the kitchen. Angela said, be quiet and nobody will get hurt. Angela proceeded to gag Patricia with a racquetball. Patricia fought back until Bill Harris pinned her on the cold linoleum floor. While Bill wrestled Patricia, Weed pled with the intruders, hoping to save their lives. He said, take anything you want, anything you want. Donald DeFries demanded access to their safe. The problem was Patricia and Weed didn't have a safe. Sure, Patricia had a robust trust fund, but their apartment was squarely between broke college students and young homemakers. Nothing much of value except Patricia herself. Unaware, DeFries began to search the place, grabbing Patricia's purse, seeking anything else of value. Just then, a neighbor ran in the open door. He'd heard screams and dropped everything to help as quick as possible. He was dispatched just as quickly when DeFries hit him over the head with a shotgun. In the scuffle, Stephen Weed managed to escape through the back door, leaving his fiance to fend for herself. But Patricia wasn't waiting for his help. She was still fighting, still screaming. It wasn't worth hanging around. DeFries motioned to Angela and Bill and had them drag Patricia outside. More neighbors, all students, poked their heads out to investigate. DeFries fired two warning shots. Bill Harris got Patricia down to the car, the trunk already popped. Camilla Hall had the car running, ready to speed away as soon as their hostage was inside. Bill reached to lift the trunk and accidentally slammed it closed instead. He left Patricia hogtied on the ground while he ran to get the keys from Camilla so he could open the trunk. In that moment, Patricia broke free from her bonds and bolted towards her own car in the apartment's parking lot. As she ran, one of her slippers went flying, but her glorious escape lasted only seconds before a striking pain crossed her body. She crumpled. Harris had whacked her with his rifle and was now dragging her into the car. Patricia screamed through her gag as the trunk closed around her. The Chevy sped off, Camilla Hall was driving, and Patricia Hurst inside the dark, stuffy trunk. The mathematician was still trapped in the back seat, hidden under a blanket, and extremely confused. Two other cars followed, carrying the rest of the kidnapping operation. Angela Atwood, Bill and Emily Harris, Donald DeFries, Nancy Ling Perry, Ms. Moon Soltizic, and Willie Wolf, the Symbionese Liberation Army, or SLA. About a half mile outside of Berkeley, they pulled over again. Time to ditch the dead weight. 
DeFries pulled Patricia out of the Chevy's trunk and threw her in the back seat of a station wagon. Meanwhile, the other comrades were dealing with the mathematician. They made sure his bonds were secure and warned him. If he went to the police, they'd be back and they wouldn't be quite so friendly. The SLA ditched the Chevy and its owner. The mathematician had suffered a terrifying night, but he was the lucky one. He was free to go. Their other hostage wasn't so fortunate. They were taking her to Daly City, where she'd be locked in a closet for the next 57 days. Up next, the motivations behind the kidnapping of Patricia Hurst and the controversies the crime set off. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. It took four minutes to kidnap Patricia Hurst. One moment, the 19-year-old was curled up on her couch in her bathrobe, studying next to her fiancé. The next, she was hogtied and barefoot in the trunk of a stolen Chevrolet. For Patricia, it was an extremely sudden and very unwelcome imposition on her Monday night routine. At least, that's what she's always claimed. Some people believe the events of February 4, 1974 came about a little differently. Some people think Patricia wanted to be kidnapped and even planned it herself. In the year preceding her kidnapping, Patricia openly admits to being miserable, even suicidal. She wasn't fitting in at Berkeley, and her attempt to patch up a failing relationship with an engagement ring wasn't going so well either. She wanted out, but didn't know how to change her life. At the same time, a very different group of Berkeley students also wanted out. They dropped out of school to become radicals, helping to form a group that called itself the Symbionese Liberation Army, or SLA. The SLA saw itself as a revolutionary band, but functioned as a destructive cult. The leader, Donald DeFries, a.k.a. Sinkyu, was an escaped convict with almost total psychological control over the nine other members. They indoctrinated each other with intense rhetoric, the most important being the idea that in order to overthrow capitalism and create the world they wanted to live in, the SLA had to commit newsworthy crimes. These attention-grabbing crimes would inspire other acts of rebellion, leading to global revolt and a communist new world. In December of 1973, they started plotting a kidnapping. For their target, they landed on the heiress in their own backyard, Berkeley student Patricia Campbell Hurst. 
It's not provable, but perfectly possible that SLA members met Patricia prior to her kidnapping. It would have been easy enough for the gang to recruit the wayward young woman. In addition to her less than happy circumstances, Patricia had a rebellious streak. She'd been kicked out of Catholic school as a teen and was growing marijuana in her backyard. Even her fiance was her high school's former math teacher. Her parents did not approve, but they did publish the engagement announcement in their newspaper, the San Francisco Examiner. Officially, the newspaper announcement is how the SLA got wind of Patricia's location. However the kidnapping came about, Patricia wound up trapped in a closet, making voice recordings spouting SLA rhetoric and begging her parents to feed the homeless if they ever wanted to see her again. But nothing they did was enough. By April 15, 1974, she was robbing banks. She spent the next year on the run, robbing more banks, building and detonating small bombs, even acting as an accomplice in a homicide. When most of the SLA died in an FBI shootout in May 1974, Patricia remained on the lam, eventually splitting up from her surviving kidnappers completely. But she didn't make any effort to return home or to her old life. When the FBI caught her in September 1975, Patricia claimed to be an urban guerrilla. So was Patricia brainwashed, or was she a rebellious teen escaping the rigors of life in the upper crust? This was the question laid out in her criminal trial. Famed lawyer F. Lee Bailey used the relatively new diagnosis of Stockholm Syndrome for Patricia's defense. Even renowned psychiatrist Dr. Robert Lifton said Patricia was subject to psychological manipulation and should be treated with the same sympathy as a coerced prisoner of war. Unfortunately, the jury didn't see it that way, and Patricia was sentenced to seven years in prison. However, she only served 22 months before her family's aggressive PR campaign convinced President Carter to commute her sentence. 20 years later, President Clinton issued a full pardon. In the time since, Patricia has maintained she was a victim of coercion and Stockholm Syndrome. She was held captive, starved, and sexually assaulted for nearly two months before she determined that her only chance of survival was to join her captors. She joined and stayed close to the SLA because she felt that if she tried to escape, they'd track her down and kill her. There will always be people who think Patricia Hearst should be held responsible for her crimes, that she meant to commit the robberies and acts of terror and violence. But as to whether she went off the deep end with teen rebellion or was just a young woman overwhelmed by circumstances beyond her control, well, all we can do is take Patricia's own word for it. Speculation or no, the best answer to the question is simply to believe her.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our episodes of Hostage, Female Criminals, and Cults on the Hearst Kidnapping. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime.